0: Hi, and welcome to episode 120 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Emma joining us. Emma is originally from Scotland, and she struggled with undiagnosed sleep apnea for more than a decade. Shortly after she moved to Florida with her husband, Jason, Emma fell asleep at the wheel and narrowly avoided a collision. That was the wake-up call she needed to get a diagnosis with sleep apnea and begin treatment with CPAP. Emma is the host of Sleep Apnea Stories Podcast. The podcast provides a platform for people from all backgrounds to share their journeys with sleep apnea. Together with her guests, Emma is shattering pervasive stereotypes about who has this chronic sleep condition. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Emma, I'm super excited to welcome you to the podcast today and talk about all things sleep apnea.
1: Well, I'm super excited because it's my favorite subject. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So will you start with telling us a bit about your journey? I know that you lived with undiagnosed sleep apnea for quite some time.
1: Hmm. So I like to kind of start with when I was a baby and how things kind of went wrong (laughs) with my airway so the one thing I had going for me was I was breastfed for about six months and so that part of it is great and then nothing else really went well for my airway so um after that I became a serious habitual thumb sucker Mm-hmm. And I really didn't give up thumb sucking. So somebody asked me, I think it was the dentist that did my frenectomy asked me how long I suck my thumb and I really couldn't tell him, but I think until I was about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's not great for tongue positioning. And I had a really serious tongue tie that nobody noticed. So as a result of that, I had a very low and forward tongue position and my palate my um developed like really high and arched Mm -hmm. um so I see you nodding so you know like where all this is going (laughs) um and I had as a child I had huge tonsils but I grew up in Scotland and the rules there are I think that they wanted me to have um strep throat or tonsillitis like four times in a year or something and I always had it three times or you know like slightly less so they were like even though your tonsils are huge let's just leave them in it might get better kind of thing so I think that partly because of that I became a habitual mouth breather Mm -hmm. and I never really could breathe through my nose so I just never did well then um sort of scooting forward to my first year at university when I was 18 um I really pretty much just had Tonsillitis for a whole year, and my tonsils never really went back down. So we decided to do the tonsillectomy at that point. And at this point, I slept horribly, but didn't really. I think when you have not slept well pretty much your whole life, you just don't recognize that this isn't how everybody else feels. Yeah. So I had my tonsils out, and I think that it did help some. Uh, with my breathing. But by that point, I was so used to breathing through my mouth that nobody told me, you know, like it would be really helpful. You know, you should re-educate yourself to breathe through your nose. So I carried on my breathing and I carried on sleeping badly. Um, but the, the actual impact of that didn't really hit me until my early 20s. So after university, I went traveling for a year and I was working um, for a huge law firm. I just studied law at university. And so when I got to Sydney in Australia, I found a job working as a paralegal for a huge law firm and it paid really well. So which was good because I was not organized. and I didn't actually have a ticket home. (laughs) Don't tell my mom. I love it so I started working a lot of my friends were working in bars or in retail jobs and I had this job where I had to get on the bus every morning at 7 a.m to be downtown in the big office and everything and so that was the first time in my life that I really thought there's something not right about how I feel and my sleep so one particular morning I'll never forget I was in the shower at like you know, just after six. And I was weeping, I was just crying in the shower. And I've been doing that every morning for months. Right, which, which is not normal. But at the time, you don't you kind of just think, well, it's not great, but I'm just so exhausted. Every time I would sleep, I would wake up feeling like I'd had no rest, like I'd sleep for eight hours, but felt exhausted. So one of my flatmates kind of came into the bathroom when I was in the shower and she, she just kind of opened the curtain and was like, are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm crying. And she just was like, why? And I was like, I cry every morning because I'm so exhausted. And she kind of looked at me like, that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those scenarios where a lot of people have asked me since, well, why didn't you go to the doctor earlier? and a lot of it is being that age and in that circumstance you you don't have a doctor like when you're traveling or whatever so that was really the main thing I also was like really anxious so I I was one of those like people that would like pry in the toilets at work (laughs) Um, and again I just kind of thought such a stressful job like I've been going out too much or you know these kind of things so when I got back from Scotland, um, after traveling for a year, I did go to a doctor and I said, um, and I think I was probably in tears when I went to see the doctor. So I think of this is one of the things that probably got in the way of me actually getting a diagnosis for so long. Mm. So what the doctor saw was someone really overwhelmed and struggling with anxiety and a bit of depression. And those things stand alone as diagnoses, right? Right, So, so they would just say, Oh, I really think you should go and speak to a therapist, maybe have some antidepressants, that kind of thing. And the tiredness, they really just, and I didn't know the word sleepiness or daytime sleepiness or excessive daytime sleepiness at that point. All I was saying was I'm exhausted. So they do like the normal um, tests, like iron and all this stuff and they all came back normal and he just said take it easy go and see a therapist like good luck see you know yeah. so yeah. I never fine. really I, go
0: talk to someone yeah. right and
1: I had a lot of those discussions with doctors over the years and it's worth saying that I have compl- like, At that point I was just like well if the doctor says that then that's even though I felt terrible I just was like well you know, this just must be how it is kind of thing. Um, So then I, there's no way to tell my story without saying that I met my husband in Scotland. He's from Florida and we got married in Scotland and then we moved in 2007 to Florida, which is where he grew up. So shortly after I got here, I got pregnant with my first daughter, Katie, and then scoot forward till she was six months. So of course, after you have a baby and you go to the doctor in tears and you say, I'm so overwhelmed and exhausted. They say, you just had a baby, you have a newborn, you're up up all night, you know, you're feeding the baby and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the most recent time I went was, I think she was almost six months old and she was always a great feeder, a great sleeper. And she was sleeping full stretches at night, but I still felt terrible. Mm. So mainly I was just like struggling to stay awake, you know, while I was driving. I was struggling to stay awake just during the day to, to get all the things done I had to do. And so it all really came to a head when I fell asleep at the wheel. Oh my God. Katie was six months old and and sleeping in the back seat. And I was coming back from my mother-in-law's house, which is probably about a 30 minute drive. And it's across this huge bridge, like five lanes of traffic. And I got that thing that I know a lot of people can relate to where I find myself falling asleep. So I was blowing cold air in my face. And I just kept looking at the truck in front of me thinking that truck's really quite far in front of me. So it's okay kind of thing. And I was looking at the number plate and thinking, I just have to stay awake. And then cut to like, I fell asleep or what they call like having a micro sleep. And when I woke up, the truck was right in front of me and I was about to hit it. So I slammed on the brakes and by some miracle didn't actually hit the truck, but it was like, you know, really scary, slow motion kind of stuff. So I was really shaken by that. And that made me think, like, this is not normal. Yeah. So that was what really um, spurred me on to go to my doctor and just pretty much demand a sleep study and say, you know, I don't know what's... I didn't even really know anything. I never heard the term sleep apnea and I didn't know anything about sleep disorders. But I thought, like, if I'm falling asleep during the day, there's something not right with my sleep, you know? Yeah. So um, I had the... Sleep. so I had a sort of traditional polysomnograph where they put the electrodes on your head and um, but they actually came to my the sleep tech came to my house to set it up which kind of worked in with breastfeeding my baby and all that stuff so they um I went to the doctor and the doctor said afterwards that I had moderate um obstructive sleep apnea and I was Um, They they do, I think, are you familiar with AHI and how many Mm -hmm. times you stop breathing an hour? Okay. So at that point, my AHI was 25. And so he just said, so we need to use the CPAP machine, which I also had never heard of, Mm -hmm. um, and sent me home with the CPAP machine to try and figure out. (laughs) And that was in 2008. So, I mean, 13, almost 14 years ago and so I really was a CPAP user for it took me I had a terrible time to begin with it's a really difficult therapy to get used to for a lot of people yeah so it probably took me about six months to kind of find the right mask Mm -hmm. figure out like that I needed a humidifier like all the settings we had to change like just a lot of there was a lot to it you know And so then I kind of settled in and it did help me. For some people, CPAP is this miraculous, they feel so much better the next day. And it really wasn't like that for me, but I continued. I definitely wasn't falling asleep at the wheel anymore, but I just kind of continued because I thought, well, it lowers my risk of stroke and heart attack. And this is, you know, this is what I need to do essentially. So I did all that. And then last summer, um, it always kind of niggled on me that there must be other people like me in the same situation where we don't really fit the stereotype of who has sleep apnea. You just don't see like many, um, you know, what everybody thinks of as older men who are overweight and and that kind of thing. And so I think that there are a lot of people like me who just go undiagnosed for a long time. Yeah. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm I kind of
1: monologuing. That's, <laughs>
0: that's no, I think that's, that's amazing. And I know this story is going to help some of our listeners too, because I know people struggle across the lifespan with sleep. And we often, if we don't know what to ask sometimes or what to say when we go to the doctor, mm-hmm. like you said, they brush it off. Like this is, oh, you just have anxiety. Oh, this is postpartum anxiety or You know, you Mm -hmm. postpartum depression, which are both two very important diagnoses to seek help for if you do have those issues, but if it's exacerbated by poor sleep or caused Mm -hmm. by poor sleep, in addition to all the hormonal changes, you know, and if you're outside of pregnancy and postpartum and you're someone who's struggling, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I've, I've had three-year-olds with obstructive sleep apnea and massive tonsils and, you know, emergency, um, tonsillectomies I've had. Children, teenagers with obstructive sleep apnea. I've had mm-hmm. plenty of women with UARS with upper airway resistance yes. syndrome. And that's where, you know, that's me. Like I am the person who's had a home sleep study and they're like, you're fine.
1: Yes. Because <laughs> right. <laughs> often, yeah, oftentimes they're looking for, you know, a yes or no on sleep apnea. Right. And so yeah. upper airway resistance syndrome they need to, you know, you really need to go to a sleep specialist who can dig into your numbers and your oxygen desaturation and just make sure you get a proper diagnosis.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm very fortunate. I don't know if you've heard of Ken Hooks. Um, -hmm. yeah, so he, he's been on the podcast and he's taught in my, my membership and he's just a wealth of information and he does home sleep studies where you you can order. one. Yeah. uh, I literally, my
1: myofunctional therapist last week was like, Ten help. Yes. So
0: great. Like <laughs> well, he he teaches, he knows what markers to look at. So he teaches even us myofunctional therapists what the important markers to look at so that when we have a patient come back to us after they've had a sleep study, we can see Well, Mm -hmm. did the person who read your study, did they look at the right things? You know, we don't necessarily need to be the one interpreting it, but we can flag. Were they looking at the right markers or not so that we know if this is an accurate diagnosis or lack of, (laughs) Um, you know, we're not diagnosing it, but it's, I think it's so helpful to be having these conversations because people don't realize all the intricacies that happens when your sleep is off and when it's really becoming a big problem. And one of the things that you said that I've never stopped to think about was how long it takes to adjust to something like CPAP therapy. Um, I have a family member who uses it and I know there's very particular things that need to be in order for it to be Mm -hmm. successful. And, um, you know, that's, that's down to a science now for that particular person. But I mean, six months is a long time. And I'm going to imagine that many people are going to just say, you know what, this doesn't work. I don't have the time or patience or energy for this and screw it. And they're just not going to use it. And, you know, and that's, it almost sounds like there needs to be more support around that. Um, Mm -hmm. if that is the route that somebody chooses to go, but.
1: And I think everybody's different, right? So that's one of the reasons I put together an online course called mastering your CPAP. Because Mm. there was so much stuff after 13 years that I was like, why did nobody tell me any of these things when they first gave me the CPAP machine? They're not difficult things, but it's like, if you don't have the right mask, if you don't know how to check that it's fitting properly, um, just like even, um, you know, I literally got handed a plastic bag with a CPAP machine with a mask that was like the wrong size and the the instruction manual right so which is not and and bearing in mind at that point I had a six-month-old baby (laughs) you're like I need one more thing to do please (laughs) you know yeah I really need to like you know struggle and read this whole like very dry manual so yeah it's it's that's definitely a challenge with CPAP and there are a lot of people like you say that just abandon it which yeah. is really tragic because the actual results of undiagnosed sleep apnea, like stroke, heart attack, it's yeah. really it's serious on your body.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so I know that you also um, mentioned that it wasn't really treating the underlying cause of the sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. It's, co- it's sort of like a band aid, and I don't want to downplay CPAP right. because I think it's a very important therapy for individuals who choose to use it or who really need it. Um, but getting down to that underlying, the root cause, which is what we talk about mm-hmm. so often in my courses and on here. And um, right. yeah, I mean, so for you, what do you feel or what have you learned is more so the root cause of your sleep apnea and your sleep issues? I've
1: learned so much. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone down the rabbit hole. So I've gone down the rabbit hole. So last summer, I think honestly, the whole thing with me starting my podcast and everything probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for being home with my children for COVID.
0: Yeah.
1: And because like I just was kind of looking for something to be like, "Mommy's in the closet, like you can't come in." <laughs> great time, great time. <laughs> so I I considered for years doing uh some sort of blog to kind of share my experience with CPAP and maybe help other people that had had that tough time I'd had in the beginning. And then I thought, well, you know, I do love to write, but what I really love is connecting with people in conversation. Yeah. So last summer, I thought I listened to a podcast, which basically said how easy it was to start a podcast. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of thought, well, maybe I could try that. So in the beginning, my goal really was to help CPAP users get better at using their CPAP. Well, little did I know that I was about to just like learn everything there was to know about sleep apnea and all the underlying causes of sleep apnea. Amazing. So I read, I think along with a lot of people, I read James Nestor's book, Breath. Mm -hmm. And I spent the whole of that book thinking... Oh my word, that's me! Like I'm breathing through my mouth all the time, and I have a high arch palate. I, you know, like as, literally, am the poster child for sleep apnea, like pretty much. And then I had a dentist called Dr. Natasha Sarwar on my um, podcast, and she started talking about nasal breathing and how vital nasal breathing is, and tongue posture and mouth taping and all these things so after that conversation I really started digging in um to exploring everything and one of the things she mentioned was myofunctional therapy mm-hmm. and so at the time I was writing so I still write for um a sort of blog online to kind of uh help people with sleep apnea like it's just kind of uh, patient Uh, viewpoints on sleep apnea kind of thing Mm -hmm. so part of me if I'm totally honest uh, part of me thought I'm gonna go and see a myofunctional therapist and then write an article about it (laughs) I wasn't really at that point bought into I'm gonna like develop a relationship with this myofunctional therapist and see her every week for months so I went to see it was Caitlin Schrum who's here in Jacksonville love her she's amazing so I went to see her for this intake and it was like an hour and a half and it was really in depth and and I remember getting an email from her right before I went which said bring all these different textures of food and I was (laughs) saying to my husband like why do I have to bring food this is really weird I just thought she was going to look in my mouth and say you know like tell me something so we did, uh, which you know all about, right? So she looked at everything. She looked at how I walked. She looked at how I ate, how I was breathing, how I was talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never even really focused on the fact, I, the fact I had a list before I went to see her. And then she's just kind of like writing down all the stuff and her report was really eye-opening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where she's essentially saying, um, I'm not chewing and swallowing properly. Uh, <laughs> I have like I can't say s's properly. Um, I'm you know breathing all the time through my mouth. Uh, you know all the different things. And then one of the things she mentioned was I also have a uh, tongue tie. Mm. So she was recommending at some point I would need a frenectomy. So that was the first time anyone's ever said that to me. And I went home and I started reading all about phrenectomies. (laughs) like, what is this? Um, What does she want me to do? (laughs) Yeah. And so after I read her report, I thought, well, I really need to dig into this. So I started seeing Caitlin every week. And so right when, you know, we were doing it on Zoom because of like COVID and everything, but it really was amazing like you know just starting those exercises and realizing that when I put my tongue to spa or I did any of those things it wasn't possible to relax my face and my neck at the same mm-hmm. time <laughs> so she kind of we worked together for an, a few months and you know, we talked about if I would have a frenectomy and I thought I would. And the only dentist really that we know in this area that could do that, that knew what myofunctional therapy was and all the different stuff was a pediatric dentist. So I went to see him and he said, yes, we can definitely do this, but I want your myofunctional therapist, Caitlin, to say when it's time to do it. Fantastic. So we I worked together. Yeah. So that I saw that as a good sign from what I'd read. Mm-hmm. And so he was really nice. And so I carried on working with Caitlin. And then we got to the point where um she thought that the strength and the um I was about to say maneuverability. I don't like know. Range, range of motion. Work. Range of motion. There you go. <laughs> um we got to the point where my range of motion and the strength of my tongue, she thought was like perfect for doing the phrenectomy so in February the beginning of February I went and had the phrenectomy done and it was not my favorite (laughs) (laughs) that's okay nobody said you have to like it (laughs) right so I think that too many people were talking about like having your tongue snipped and like cute little phrases like that and I was just like oh okay great and I think that yeah, it was definitely a procedure. Yeah. Um. So they they did it with a laser, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, goodness, like for the next two weeks, I had exercises from Caitlin, exercises from the dentist. Like I was just doing exercises all the time. Um. And then it healed okay, and and that was fine. And I did so on the actual day when I had it done. Um. Uh, it was kind of bizarre because I felt like um, so he, he obviously gave me the anesthetic in my tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as he did it, I felt like really warm, like all over my face and my neck. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how does that feel? And I said, well, I won't know anything until the anesthetic all wears off. And I was touching my face and my neck. And he was like, the anesthetic's really only in your tongue. And I was like, no, but it feels like really warm and, you know, and, and so then, and he just kind of was like, yeah, that might just be the release from all the tension that, you know, your tongue's been pulling against all this time. But I didn't, I just kind of, I'd read about that, but I was, but I was kind of thinking like, that can't, that can't be what this is. This feels like, I've got drugs in my face right (laughs) so then when I was driving home I kind of like realized like this is how my face feels now and like I cried I totally cried for like most of the way home because I was so relieved um so yeah I think like if people you know are considering a frenectomy and you know they're not sure I really would recommend it 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 made a big difference.
0: Yeah. When you're, when you're working with a team, who knows what they're doing. So you're doing the myofunctional therapy, that pre-op therapy. And, you know, you determine, yes, the phrenectomy is necessary. And you have a good release provider who works closely with that person. And they both know how to, you know, advise you post-op. It is work. Mm -hmm. And we tell everyone, this is a journey and you have to put work in. It's not, and that's, that's one of the issues out there is so many people will take their kids or even themselves as adults. I know SLPs who have done this they go and they just get their tongue release and they're like, oh, it didn't do anything. And, it, like, and for some kids, it made it a little worse. Well, yeah, if it reattaches because you didn't know what yeah. to do post-op, sure, it can become more of a problem. Yeah. But if you're doing it as part of a holistic care plan with the right mm-hmm. professionals and they're guiding you and you, you know- I joke because I'm like, you know, I'm probably not a great, as great of a patient as I could be myself, (laughs) even though I do this work, they say that about all people in the medical space, right? Anybody in the space makes the worst patients. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's just, it's so fascinating to me because people jump to conclusions and they say, oh, this didn't work. And I'm like, well, what, what did you do pre-op? Well, we didn't do anything pre-op. Well, what did you do post-op? Oh, well, they just told us to do a couple exercises afterwards to make sure it didn't reattach. Well, If you don't habilitate the tongue, it's not even rehab. It never had the ability in your life, and so as myself as a thirty-something-year-old when I had my tongue released, my tongue had never had the ability to move around the mouth like it does now. And so I was fatiguing. I had facial and neck tension, and I had a similar experience. Mm -hmm. for me, it almost felt like I had like a little bit of a release in the back of my neck. And I, I've had patients say they literally felt like a thousand pounds just lifted off their mm-hmm. shoulders and people have such interesting responses and reactions, but I think the best ones come when you're truly prepared.
1: And I, and, and honestly, I think some of the, cause I, I also started at the same time working with a Viteko breathing coach mm-hmm. and Joe Briarly, who's in the UK and she's not messing like she doesn't want to work with people who don't want to do the work right so she has like she gives you recordings um but you're doing those exercises every day like three times a day and then the myofunctional therapy and, (laughs) and you almost don't have time for anything else in your life right um so I think that one of the things with me is I'm so motivated to improve my sleep apnea Mm-hmm. that I, I mean, it, like for me, I am going to do whatever people tell me to do. Yeah. Whereas I think if people are not impacted like that, they're kind of like, eh, you know? So I think if, for people that have sleep apnea, like, I can't recommend it enough. But if you're going to do it, you've got to do the myofunctional therapy. Exercises. Yeah. You got
0: to be fully bought in. And, and we you've tell people that, it. you know, on our team, yeah. when they come and work with anybody on my team, we always tell them, This is a journey and you know there's going to be several phases of this journey Mm -hmm. together and this is and it could probably wrap up and you know maybe four months if you're real and this is a traditional case without medical complexities involved yeah um you know if you actually do the exercises as assigned on a daily basis three times a day you know and you're really compliant you will make it through that fast, and I've had I've had kids go like in twelve weeks, sixteen weeks, done, yeah, which is it was just fantastic. And then I've had we yeah. have patients who go six months to a year, just because of commitment issues, and yeah, you know, and we really do try to stay on top of that, and we know life happens, yeah. and so we try to be kind, but. You know, it's. I think that's a really great message that you know, regardless if it's for you or your child, you have to be fully bought in. It's. It's not like you can hand someone over to a therapist once a week and hope that they're going to take care of everything you need no. for that week and you're good until you come back next week. It's just not how this works. But
1: if people. <laughs> but one of the things as well that's so true. But one of the other things is I think people that are listening who have children with with these kind of issues, so worth doing the work as yeah. when you know, kids are really young because then you will avoid this whole adult life. I've had like struggling with sleep apnea because like, I know even for my, I have two daughters, one's 13 and one's eight. So when the eight year old was maybe five, she went through a little phase where, and of course, because this is all that I'm into, I'm like sleep disordered breathing. She's like sweating and like, I don't know, I think maybe, you know, I'd be like commando crawling in a room at night and being like, her mouth's open, there's something not right, you know. So she actually had her tonsils removed. And with her touch wood, it seems like that pretty much resolved the problem for her. But of course, I'm like eagle eyed all the time checking that everything seems to be going, you know, right. But, um, yeah, for people with young kids, it's so worth it to address it early and just really go for it and, and make the effort to do the myofunctional therapy and whatever palate expansion or whatever people are recommending just to get it done.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, as an adult who had orthodontic relapse and sleep issues and ADHD diagnosis at 19 and, you know, it just, it all kind of snowballed after that. I've now gone through three years of appliance therapy and some, and basically was in Mayo every day because I was treating. So, you know, there's that piece, but it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I was actually, I saw my dentist a couple of days ago and she said, it's really incredible to see how the Invisalign cause I had a DNA vivo appliance for two mm-hmm. years. she said it's really incredible to see how the Invisalign has actually really held your jaw in position while straightening those teeth back out because I had some, some turning of teeth prior to the DNA. Um, but then I also had spaces opened as my jaw expanded. And so we were just trying mm-hmm. to kind of bring everything back to that straight teeth smile. Cause am slightly vain and I really wanted straight teeth again. <laughs> I could, so, I could have stopped after the DNA, but I was like, no, nope, <laughs> we are going back to the straight teeth that I once had before you guys took those lingual bars off that were in my mouth for way too long. Um, so yeah. So and then my,
1: here's, my- what, here's what's really funny about that. So I just started, um, with the i'm i'm a newbie at the palate expansion journey so i actually am taking a little break from my functional therapy which might be controversial i'm gonna carry on doing some stuff in the meantime but i'm finding wearing the dna appliance for 16 hours a day like every moment that i don't have it in my mouth i feel like i'm talking or eating yeah and i just was like it might be too much in the beginning just while i get used to it so um And I also have that thing where I want to be an overachiever. (laughs) So I'm kind of like, oh, like I didn't manage to do lots of practicing, you know. So, so anyway, we, we uh, do that
0: sometimes we do recommend that sometimes, especially yeah, I, with appliances that fill the palate. we will yeah. often take a bit of a break and sometimes it's yeah. six months. Sometimes it just depends on how quickly, if the age of the person, how quickly they expand.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to
0: get enough space from that appliance before we continue yes. to work to make sure the tongue That's is what on talking about. Top. So, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Um, so I'm only a month into the DNA appliance and um, But it's kind of funny, I interviewed somebody on my podcast last week called Chandra, who had done the Vivos um, treatment for two years. She had sleep apnea, and she did that for two years, and it got rid of her sleep apnea, which was really amazing. So that's what I'm really very much hoping happens to me. Um, But the thing that's really funny is I... I think we're kind of the same like she just got to the point where she didn't have sleep apnea anymore and she was sleeping well and her her dentist was like do you want to you know do some Invisalign or something to to straighten out your teeth and she's like no why would I do that and I'm exactly the same like whereas I think you and Caitlin like because I think Caitlin's thinking about doing this too and she was just kind of like uh well then, I'll have to do braces to make sure my teeth are perfectly straight. And I was like, or you could just kind of have some gaps and that'd be okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it would have been okay, but I was like, the amount that I stare at myself teaching and have to like right. look at my mouth right. in the industry that I'm in, I was like, yeah, we're, we're going for it. We're going back to those, those straight yeah, teeth I used to have.
1: <laughs> That's true. I suppose people are looking at your mouth a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But you know
0: what? I think that it's a really great conversation because you don't have to do the Invisalign after like, that was my choice. And the the DNA itself did everything it needed to. And the Invisalign was not necessary. Like it was completely cosmetic for me. So, you know, I think that that's a really great conversation to have because I don't want people to think like, Oh my gosh. And I also had like 20, no, I don't know, I'm like in a year of Invisalign, but I'm coming down to my last week. So- Wow. You know, woo, and I- Are you little like notches on the teeth, so we're gonna have the notches taken off, and wearing trays, also my teeth yellowed a bit. So I'm like, yeah. can we whiten my teeth and get these little things off and just get me back to where I was? My husband always jokes, he's like, I married you because you, had, you were a good horse, like you
1: had good teeth. <laughs>
0: I was like, they'll be back soon. <laughs> Sorry for the three-year
1: hiatus. I know it, it's one of those things where it's like, like my teeth have always looked fine, but they're just like if you actually look, you know, like they're so narrow, like back of the bit that you can't see. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm excited for you because the Vivos, it, the DNA appliance, is phenomenal. It really does work, and I know there's so much controversy out there, depending on who you talk to, like, oh, these things don't work. Oh, they just tip teeth. I can tell you from my scans and from my images, they do not just tip teeth. And my tongue can make contact with my palate inside of my teeth now versus Mm -hmm. spilling through my teeth like it did before. My teeth are not tipped. Um, My front teeth became a teeny bit tipped, but towards like probably about like 70% of the way through my dentist actually pulled the springs uh, away from the front teeth. So it wouldn't push them out and they wouldn't mm-hmm. become tipped out uh, because i had had enough forward growth at that point. So yeah. we were still trying to <clears throat> do more, you know, lateral expansion, but the forward growth on top was really great. And so it, the, the, the DNA appliance is really nice because you can control for some of that. Right. You can, you right. know, change things as you need to, as you go. So it was, I, it was a great experience. I mean, I didn't love it because it's really cumbersome and it really feels, fill, it fills your mouth. And especially, I, I even remember those first couple of nights where I was like laying in bed and I'm like, and my husband's like, are you okay?
1: <laughs> and I yeah. was like,
0: just a lot of saliva being produced over here. I'm not used to it.
1: My, my husband's having a riot with it. So my, <laughs> my husband is like, just kind of hilarious and just Brings levity to every situation. And so with my CPAP, he would just have me do like Star Wars, like Darth Vader stuff to begin with. And mainly for his amusement, but it yeah. made me laugh too. That's and funny. then when I started with this, he always goes on about I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Jimmy Fallon has this thing where like they're teenage girls and he has like braces and like so he tries to make me do impressions of that and I'm just like oh my gosh this is ridiculous but yeah I'm not really used to it but it's fine. I'm it very happens. dedicated. Yeah, you're, so. you're only a
0: month in At a certain point, yeah. you're going to be, you're just going to pop it in and you'll be like, yeah. no big thing. And, um, and again, I was not the most compliant because I talk so much and I could not speak with that in my mouth. Yeah. So I probably only wore it like 10 hours a day on average, even though they, Oh told my me, gosh, even though they told I'm me a, like 14 to I'm 16. Doing like a day. 16. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. told me 14 to 16 and I was like, I'll give you a 10. And I, so, I mean, I probably could have been done in less than two years. I think it
1: took longer
0: because I was only wearing it for 10 hours a day. And I was like, that's fine. I mean, I have to
1: do it. And also, it's not really a rushing it thing. It's more of a like, it's kind of in some ways nice to go slowly and just kind of see how you're getting on.
0: Yeah. The other thing I'll say too, and I don't know if you're working with like if you're getting in body work or anything. Um, but I ended up working with a physical therapist trained um through the Postural Restoration Institute. He does like he was doing a oh. counter strain technique where he would go mm-hmm. up on my head and like, you know, oh, down here. And you go to a pressure point and you push it, and I'd be like, ow, how'd you know that was there? And he'd release it. He would release sinuses on my face. And he towards the oh. end, he was working my mouth too. But about 50% of the way through my expansion. It was really hard to crank it. And I like put it back in. I'm like, no, this is not happening. Like, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. This doesn't feel good. And I would see him. And the days when I saw him, I could crank the appliance again. And so uh, I started seeing him like every couple of weeks to make sure I could continue to crank the appliance yeah. in that second year.
1: So um, that's interesting. So I've been going for craniosacral therapy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a I do think that's, and she kind of does some in the mouth kind of releasing. TMJ and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. We'll see. I think maybe physical therapy is a good idea. Well, and I just was, am like, how many, how much time do I have to actually go? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would either there. the craniosacral
0: might be enough. So what he was doing was more of a, it's similar to craniosacral. It's ma- modern counter strain technique is what okay. he called it. And he was trained specifically through the Postural Restoration Institute. So they look a lot at. How the entire body is functioning holistically, your airway, how things are draining. And I mean, he would go here and like tap, tap, tap. And then I would feel something just like drain, like drain. My sinus would just drain. And I was like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> like, do that again. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was phenomenal. And so, you know, but craniosacral might be enough. So, you know, I would just, Check in with Caitlin or with your craniosacral therapist if you get to a point where you're like, "This is becoming hard to crank the device. Like it's really difficult to put it in beyond like the normal discomfort." (laughs) Yeah, Um, because it was like, no, like I can't, I can't crank it. I feel like I have to go back, and I was like cranking it like a quarter of a crank at that point. It wasn't even a full crank or a half crank. So, um, yeah. Just a just a heads up,
1: <laughs> so okay, you can maximize, good. you know, the growth that you're able to get. Because um, did you do? So I'm I'm in a little um, Facebook group for people doing like DNA and mRNA, and they all seem to be obsessed with mastic gum and chewing hard things all the time. I've never Is that heard something of, you did. I've never no. heard of that gum. Um, not in it's that. Facebook so group. gross.
0: <laughs> Never yeah.
1: I got some and I'm just like, I'm not chewing. This is awful. So, okay. That's
0: interesting. I mean, it's so the idea I think behind, um, chewing harder things is it's really good for jaw development, but I'm right. going to be honest with you right after I cranked that appliance, my teeth were, things were moving. Like my, it yes. hurt and I was yeah. not wanting to eat hard food. So I didn't know I ate my normal foods, my, my normal diet. And like, I eat meat, chicken, steak, you know, I eat stuff like that. Um, but I didn't change my diet, you know, okay, necessarily. Big deal, to develop my jaw anymore. And I will tell you, um, I got a jaw and I got like cheekbones, and I was like, I didn't have to do anything to my face, and I feel like I had, yeah, work and this is phenomenal. <laughs> and even my dentist was like, She's like, you have a jaw now.
1: I was like, Oh no, so that sad. would be so nice. It was
0: such a good side effect,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, so anything else about your journey that you want to share with us or we covered a lot of it?
1: I think that's most of it.
0: Awesome. Um, well, tell us yeah. where to find you. I know you mentioned your course and you've got your sleep apnea stories podcast. So how do they find that? If yeah. they
1: want to- so, so the best place to go is sleepapneastories.com and it has links to everything. Um, and then for my podcast, there are links on my website, but also people can just search um, sleep apnea stories and it's on all the main podcast places. <laughs>
0: awesome. And then they can find you um, on Instagram under sleep apnea stories. Yep.
1: Right? So it's just the handle sleep apnea stories stories and I love like I kind of spend a lot of my time <laughs> DMing with people and you know it's my favorite subject so I love hearing from people about their journeys amazing well Emma and think- I'm always oh sorry no, i no, was go gonna ahead, go say ahead. yeah I'm always um sort of planning ahead to my I'm just coming to the end of my um I do seasons of 10 episodes so I have my last one this Wednesday and then I'll be off for a month but I'm already working on the next set of episodes. So if there's anybody out there who has a story about their own journey with sleep apnea, I'm always interested to hear those. So you can reach out through my website or on Instagram.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm sure there will be plenty of people who are listening that, (laughs) that have been through their own journey, um, either with their child or themselves. So so it's a really great resource that you're providing. I love that. You know, it's, it's cool because Covid birthed so many different yeah. things, that, and I love seeing the ones that are that were birthed that really truly help people. Especially, you know, we always say air, airway is everything. If you can't breathe, yeah. your head. So, yes. you know, it sounds so morbid, but it's true. It's and, so
1: true, though. You know, that yeah. needs to be
0: the number one attended to medical. Yeah,
1: you know, complexity. and it certainly makes it worthwhile. Just when I get messages from people who say your story is my story. yeah. And, you know, people who have never been diagnosed with sleep apnea and go to their doctor and ask for a sleep study because they've heard me talk about it. Yeah. So those are, that's what keeps me going is just yeah. like the impact you can have on people's lives. I love it.
0: I love it. Absolutely. I can totally relate to that. That's I joke. I'm like this. This podcast didn't exist when I went to look for it, and so I obviously had to create right. it. Right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, and yeah. here we are, almost two years later, and yeah. it's just incredible to see because you really do get to start connecting with people, and that's what makes me so excited is bringing the information out to people who would not have either heard of it or had access to it otherwise, so yeah. that they can get the help for themselves or their children. And yes, you know, there needs to be more of this, more awareness, more information readily available. So when people hear these stories that you, especially the stories that you're sharing, they go, Holy cow, that's me or that's my husband, or that's my friend, or that's my child, you know? And yeah, it's it's incredible when you can really improve your health because you heard somebody's story that you related to. So, so thank you for what you're doing. It's really awesome.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for your podcast too.
0: Absolutely. All right, everybody. We'll make sure that, um, Emma's Instagram and website and all the good stuff. We've got a link to her course as well. We'll put that in the show notes. So, um, everybody can grab that there and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo Tots Airway and Feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the Untethered Podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook on my Facebook page at Biz. On Instagram at, at Hallie Vulcan. And you can head over to theuntetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes.